bracelet. Uh, now I got to tell you, I have one on today. Okay, I put one on just for this sermon, and it apparently uses holographic technology. I've got a hologram right here and a hologram right here that apparently builds your strength, uh, your endurance, and your balance. Before I walked out of here of church, I actually had uh, Rick sit on my hand, and I picked him up like this, his whole body. It was unreal. You should have seen it. It was in the back. Look at this. That's 100% this bracelet. Uh, so there's unbelievable, apparently, power within the uh, power balance bracelet. And uh, what was interesting is when this product came out, it kind of took the NBA by storm. You saw Shaquille O'Neal and Derrick Rose, both all-stars. And uh, that interview with, with Shaquille O'Neal was in the 2008-2009 season. By 2010, Power Bracelet was in a lawsuit uh, in which, in a court of law, they had to actually admit that this was all a hoax, believe it or not. Um, by 2011, they filed for Chapter 11 bank bankruptcy and at one point had to pay out $57 million. So um, the power bracelet myth, it's to offer you balance that would be superior to what you would have had had you not worn this thing. In other words, what has come to, to light is that uh, when a person isn't wearing this and they would run you through a test, okay, that basically this is likened to a placebo, that you are ready the next time they run you through the tests, and your mind tells yourself what's coming, and you compensate, and then you're shocked, and you think it's the bracelet. It's an unbelievable scam. Brilliant marketing. Throw in the money. Get the, the, the famous athletes up there to tell you that it made a difference. I always thought it was funny. It's not always the case, but sometimes when people are lying, they'll touch their face, I don't know if you ever noticed that. And so I love, I love that when Shaquille O'Neal is like, yeah, you know, there was this one time we were in Phoenix, and uh, it's just great, you know? So power balance bracelet. And what we're going to talk about today is balance. We're going to talk about balance in your life, in your work life, and in your worship life, and all aspects of your life. Um, that's what God desires. And God talks a lot about worship. And he talks a lot about this, this thing called Sabbath. And what does that mean to have a Sabbath? What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? There's a lot of uh, thoughts that are out there, and there's a lot of different takes on that. And there can be a lot of confusion and conflict within us in this room even about what we think it means to keep the Sabbath holy. So I hope what will happen this morning is to bring a little bit of of insight into what does it mean to have balance in your life. Not using this, okay, but using God's Word. So let's pray and then we'll dig into what God has for us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We are a culture that is going faster and harder than ever before. We're busier than we've ever been. Our work lives have bled more into our personal lives than we probably have ever seen before thanks to technology. We have all kinds of challenges in front of us, and when you tell us to keep the Sabbath holy, what all does that mean for us in this place and in this morning? And so, Lord, we just ask that we'd open up our hearts and our minds to what it is that you'd have for us today. Holy Spirit, it's you and you alone that's able to make this happen, and we lift up this moment of worship to you. It's in your name. Amen. So our story is going to pick up in Mark 2, uh, verses 23 to 26, okay? And this is this 
moment where Jesus is always being criticized on how he's handling the Sabbath. The Pharisees, the keeper of the laws, the ones who've passed this down from generation to generation, they're always trying to trap and catch Jesus. And to break the Sabbath is huge, okay? By the time Jesus shows up, there's over 600 ceremonial uh, laws. There's every kind of ritualistic law that you can imagine. There was 24 chapters within the, within the Talmud, and one great scholar spent something like two years just on two chapters within the Talmud, just to understand all of the rituals and the laws. I mean, it was so vast that people looked at the Sabbath and how to protect the Sabbath and their desire to set it apart and keep it holy, that it had become this unbelievably messed up legalistic system, far, far removed from God's heart and God's design. And so Jesus, ironically, runs into this, okay, who is the essence and the speaker and, uh, and the reality of God's heart and God's will and God's design and all of that embodied in the flesh, the word was made flesh, it's Jesus, is running into this ritualistic system created by men in an effort to keep the thing that Jesus is all about. So here's this moment, Mark 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Jesus, very quickly in this moment, is being, of course, criticized for what they believe is breaking the Sabbath. Surely you're working on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So Jesus, in a very, very slick way, he takes their most lifted up person in their history, of course, King David. And he points out to this moment in King David's life And of course, they all knew where even David did this. He took bread that was consecrated, and yet he himself ate it and shared it with others and very quickly kind of silences his critics. See, that's the way of Jesus. He's always able to turn on them in a moment. The way that they think they understood God's word, they don't. This was no exception. So how did we get here? How did we get here to a point where all of a sudden, a group of men can be walking through a grain field in a way in which it is completely and, and absolutely fine, and all of a sudden now we have an issue and that it's, it's become a spiritual issue and it's, a, and it's a thought that's against God's will and design. Well, let me just share a couple of things to give you insight of how legalistic this all got, okay? I'm just going to give you a snippet. Number one, okay, if you wanted to keep the Sabbath and you were serious about it, you could take 1,999 steps, but not 2,000. Now, what's the Sabbath? Is Friday night when the sun falls through when the sun falls on Saturday night. Friday night to Saturday night. There's the Sabbath, okay? So you could not travel more than 1,999 steps. You could not go further than 3,000 steps. If you went uh, 3,000 feet, if you went 2,000 steps, you broke the Sabbath. But if you went 1,999 steps, you were fine. Now, once you got to your house, 
if you took a piece of string from the doorway of your home across the road to the doorway of another home, they wrote in a loophole to which then and only then you could travel another 1,999 steps. Now, why is that important? Because this is on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are following Jesus through a grain field. What does that mean? It means that on the Sabbath, they're following Jesus doing this. One, two, three, four. They're literally counting as they're following him. So you can't go 300 steps. Here's a few more highlights, okay? Um, if you lifted something up in public, you could only put it down in private. If you lifted something up in private, you could only put it down in public. Don't worry, it gets worse. Here you go. No, you couldn't carry a burden more that weighed more than a dried fig. Or you could pick up a burden twice, some kind of weight that was the equivalent of half of the weight of one dried fig, okay? Uh, you could, uh, if you tasted an olive and it was disgusting and it wasn't good and you spit it out, you could not put an entire olive back in your mouth in its place. Why? Because your palate tasted the equivalent of an entire olive. Therefore, to replace one olive with another olive is breaking the Sabbath. If you threw something in the air and you caught it with the other hand, you just sinned against the Sabbath. But if you threw something in the air and caught it with the same hand, you should try out for the local baseball team and you didn't break the Sabbath. Good news for you, okay? How about this one? Um, food, outstretched with one arm. If you were reaching for something and someone handed you something to eat and the Sabbath fell in that moment, you could not pull this arm back without first dropping that piece of food. Put the hot dog down, right? No, right? And then you could bring your arm back to your side. But you have to drop this, whatever it is. Don't even think about it. Sabbath just fell on you. You couldn't even send a letter during the Sabbath. And oh, by the way, even if a heathen was the one who carried the letter for you. Crazy. You couldn't boil an egg. Just so we're aware, because we had to be this specific apparently, you can't even boil an egg in the sand in Israel, even when it's hot enough to cook an egg literally in the sand. Can't do it. They wanted you to know that. You can't light a candle if the candle isn't lit. If the candle is lit, you can't put it out, okay? Um, you can't take a bath, because if you took a bath, you ran the risk of water coming out of the bathtub, falling on the floor, and technically you just washed the floor, which is work. Keep that Sabbath holy. Let's keep going. Uh, you can't move chairs, because if you move chairs, you might create a rut in the ground, which would be the equivalent of plowing, which, of course, is work. Women, you couldn't look at a piece of glass during that entire Sabbath period. Why? Because you would be tempted, I'm not making this up, you would be tempted to look at your own head, notice a silver piece of hair in your head, and then be tempted to pull it out, which is thus working on the Sabbath. Ladies, I'm just telling you how it is. You couldn't wear jewelry on the Sabbath. Why? Because most likely that piece of jewelry weighed more than, yes, a fig. Okay? All right, we're just going to, just a few more. You couldn't put radish in salt during the Sabbath. Why? Because that radish sitting in salt would turn into a pickle, and that, my friend, that's work. Okay? And here's another good one. No more grain could be picked than what you could put in a lamb's mouth, which is a very... Standard way of measurement, of course, is a lamb's mouth. Don't pick any more grain than you could put in a lamb's mouth. No sowing, no plowing, no reaping, no binding, no threshing, no winnowing 
on the Sabbath. By the way, no sifting, no grinding, no kneading, no baking. Okay, Shipley's is closed. Sorry, no cinnamon rolls on the Sabbath. There was no washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool. Okay, there was no spinning wool. You couldn't put wool on a weaver's beam. What's a weaver's beam? You have no idea, but you couldn't do it. Okay, how about this? Uh, You can't make threads or weave threads. You can't tie a knot or untie a knot on the Sabbath. So your kids go into bed with their shoes tied. That is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what these people lived with. This is the backdrop. This is the culture This is the environment, literally the context of when Jesus walks walks up to the Jews and says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And he says, and I will give you rest. What Jesus is saying is you people are working so hard for God. You're working so hard to be right for God. I'm offering you rest. It's all been fulfilled in me. So number one thing you have to understand on a spiritual standpoint, when Jesus is offering rest in a Sabbath, that it's spiritually not something you're going to work out and achieve on your own. It's simply to sit under his grace. So that's the spiritual aspect of Sabbath, is just to sit within his grace and rest within his presence. That's it. It's a beautiful thing. And Jesus begins to systematically just destroy their system of being good enough for God. Now that's one aspect. And the other aspect is just the practical. How do you keep the Sabbath then? What does that look like? Well, here's verse 27 as the exchange goes on. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now what's he talking about? He's saying this, when God created everything, okay, when he spoke all things into being, if you notice, throughout six days, God says what at some point on each day? It is good, 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 it is good. And finally when he gets to the end of the sixth day, it's the only time when God says it is very good. And then God made it holy and set it apart. And what that's about is this idea of working and striving and having dominion and growing and building things. Each and every one of us in this room, I don't care if all you do is you sit there in front of a copier seven hours a day, seven days a week, just making copies, you have dominion. Your dominion is that copy machine. Your dominion is that stack of paper. It's what's been entrusted to you. And what this whole idea is that that we are called and we're created to work, to strive, to achieve, to grow, to build things, to have dominion over things. And that when we are doing, at some point, we're supposed to stop, reflect, and not sleep. Stop, reflect, and enjoy what you're building, what you're growing, what you're cultivating. That's the design. That's the rhythm. That's the intent. And too many times, that's where we're missing the idea of the Sabbath. See, in this room, many of us think, well, worship is a day. A Sabbath 
is the day. No, no, no. Worship is a lifestyle seven days a week. This is a place where we gather, yes, to receive the good gifts of God, yes, to be encouraged that we're not alone in this world and we have friends and community and we worship Jesus, yes and amen. But actually, worship is seven days a week. The Sabbath, really, as a Christian, okay, is seven days a week. That's what's so funny. You know, the only reason we worship on a Sunday is we're commemorating and celebrating Jesus rising from the dead on a Sunday. So it's always funny to me when people only show up to church at Easter. Why? We're commemorating the resurrection. That's what we do every Sunday. It's every Sunday we celebrate when Jesus rose from the dead. So the Sabbath, you have to change our thinking. The Sabbath is every single day. What is it? It is stopping and reflecting on what you've grown what you've built, what you've done, what you've achieved. Sometimes, those of us that are older in this room, sometimes we really miss this part of reflection. Sometimes we're too busy looking back, lamenting what was. When you've built this incredible life, you have this legacy, you have memories, you have things that you achieved, things that you've done, places that you've been, and too many times we just don't stop and turn around and go, wow, look at that. See, the real heart of the Sabbath is to not only then reflect, but then acknowledge that everything that you've achieved, all that you've received, all the things that you've done are a good gift from God. And when you are acknowledging that, that is the Sabbath. When you are reflecting on that work and that rhythm of working hard and reflecting on what God has done through those gifts and recognizing where they come from, that's the Sabbath. So it's kind of this, this thought this way is you have contentment. If you want to know if you're celebrating the Sabbath, if you're keeping it holy, it's you have a sense of contentment. You can still push and work hard, but there's contentment. Um, I've heard it put this way. Which man, okay, is truly content and happy? Is it the man who has $10 million or is it the man who has 10 kids? Well, it's the man who has 10 kids because he doesn't want any more. Okay, all right. Well, I'm just trying to wake you up. Okay, and that's the whole idea. The man with 10 kids, right? He's good. There's contentment. I've achieved. I don't need any more. We're good, all right? Thank you for those blessings, right? I'm fine. The guy with 10 million, man, maybe I can get 11. Maybe I can get 12. It's sitting back and recounting those things. You know, I think one of the things that... Um, is especially hard for people in their 20s and 30s. And many of you have been there. Some of you are in it, and some of you recall this. It's at a phase of life where you are, you're trying to build your life, you're trying to build your family, you're trying to build your career, and you're trying to balance your family, and you're trying to balance all these other things. It is an incredibly difficult, stressful time. And even more so, when I look at generations, this is what's interesting, okay? And this isn't to slap any of you in the forehead. It's just an observation of the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years, okay? So when I look at like people in my world who are the, who are the um, uh, greatest generation or even their kids, okay? They had unbelievable 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 hour a day work lives. Unbelievable, okay? And I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to that would say, yeah, my old man, he was at one game a year. He would be there. Uh, maybe they made one event a month. But, you know, he or she was just so busy, I just never 
saw them, okay? And that's, that's one reality, and some of you probably looking back going, oh yeah, okay, that was kind of my world. But now we've gone to the other end of the spectrum, which is interesting, because all this is is the human condition and the challenges that are in front of us. Now, we're a generation that's at everything, okay? We're going to be at everything, but here's the problem. Those of you that are older who had a mom or a dad who showed up just like once a season for something or once a month for a special event for you, here was the difference 20, 30, 40 years ago. They were like this. Now we have people at everything, right? And this is what they're like. So here, it was less time, but it was focused. Now... It's more time, utterly distracted, all the time. See, every generation is going to battle with this. I don't care which way the pendulum swings. How do we find a way to build into our lives, into our families, into our careers? And so I just have a very, very simple way of sharing this with you. If you want to know what does it mean... To have balance, to work and to rest and reflect and worship, have a life of worship and a life of Sabbath, I would challenge you to do this this week. Even if it's not every day, just once this week, it would be the following. You'd sit down and you'd say, what are the two to three things that have been a challenge for me this week? And acknowledge that. What was hard for me this week? What really pushed me this week? Kind of honestly, what am I sort of disappointed in this week? But then what are the two to three things that you can sit there and acknowledge? This is a good thing that came from God this week. And I thank him for that. I thank him and acknowledge that that thing in my life came my way because it is a good gift of God. Not because I earned it, but because who God is in his character. And in that moment, That's exactly what's happening. Resting, reflecting, observing, and worshiping God. A life of worship while still pushing to achieve and to grow and to build. This is the heart of what was missed. See? This is how far people drifted at the time of Jesus. They made it so legalistic. They missed the heart of God. The design of God. The intentions of God. Jesus finally would sew things up this way. He said, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. These are fighting words. He's saying your whole understanding of the Sabbath is completed and fulfilled in me. Rest is found in me, in reflection and in worship of me. I want to close uh, here with a video that is uh, maybe to help us kind of get a perspective. One final thought with the Sabbath and working and achieving and and experiencing and reflecting God's true gifts in our lives. Check it out.
What a good little brother. It is so easy to judge right there. It really is. Dad got her a red car and she really wanted a blue one. The Sabbath and contentment of the gifts that God has given you. And you know, the real scandal of grace, of who Jesus is, is that, you know, many times the Father knew and the Father knows that exactly what you need is His Son. And oftentimes, His Son is not exactly what we want. And the beauty of who Jesus is and the heart of the Father is that even when we strive to achieve and to find things that we think will make us happy, even when we look in other directions to find contentment and fulfillment in an identity, even when we search for meaning in every other place but Him, the Father never stops giving us the extravagance of His Son. And so today, if you're a person that's just been caught in the rat race for whatever reason, Today, if you're a person who hasn't ever taken the time in a while to just sit and reflect on God's grace and the good gifts that he's given you, if today, if you're seated here and you're thinking that the Sabbath, the whole purpose is just to come here, sit down right here, clock in, check a box, sing some songs, and you're out and you did it. And now you're realizing, man, I don't know that I really sit and reflect and thank and acknowledge God for what he's done in my life. Well, I just want you to know that's the beauty of the Father's heart. Is he will keep raining down the blessing of his son upon your life. That's the scandal of grace. That's the beauty of his love in your life. And so as you move forward this week, I hope and pray that, yeah, you'll work hard. Yes, you'll achieve. Yes, you'll get after it, but don't hesitate to stop and keep the Sabbath holy, thanking the Father for what He gives you, for what He's allowed you to do in each day of each week. What a blessing that is. So your God loves you, and He covers you with His grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for who you are. We thank you for your mercy, and we ask Jesus that you would just continue to work in our lives. Finding balance is incredibly difficult. And we entrust this all to you. God, some of us feel like, well, I'm already retired. I've already moved on. I'm at the next phase of my life. And God, sometimes there's a time just to reflect and appreciate what you've done through us throughout the, throughout the years, throughout the generations. So God, we are empowered to keep the Sabbath holy but we are covered by your grace because you are the Lord of the Sabbath. True rest and worship is received by and found in you. It's in your beautiful name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.